0: Hi, everybody. We are back again. This is Rex Aldana. Hey, and it's Mark Stevens. And uh, we have a podcast for you today talking about 1984, For the Love of Big Brother, Eurythmics' uh, critically acclaimed and fan-favorite album from 1984, which served as a soundtrack to the film of the same name. But the, as Eurythmics fans know, it's much more than just a film soundtrack. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about each track one by one, offer our thoughts and critiques. We'll address the two video clips as well. Although if you haven't listened to our podcast on the videos, uh, we have a three-part podcast on all of the individual videos. So that's an interesting listen if if you're so inclined. Then we'll talk a little bit about um, the great reviews uh, that the album got and also some clearly asinine reviews. And then, and then we'll talk about a, a, briefly about the controversy surrounding the soundtrack in the film. So, we'll start with uh, the first track on the album, and I'm gonna. It's called "I Did It Just the Same." And Mark, I'll let you start. Thoughts and impressions.
1: "I Did It Just the Same" sets the tone for the whole album, I think, and really, it it's it probably sets the tone for in essence what the novel was about, in the sense of. You know, the main characters going against Big Brother, going against the government, you know, falling in love, having their own thoughts. You weren't allowed to have your own thoughts. Uh, you couldn't do that. So it's, um, when I think back on it often, I think of um, uh, that the 1984 album, you kind of think of it as a dark album. And so I sometimes think of all of it that way. But I did it just the same. Isn't really dark. It's kind of uplifting. Uh, uplifting may not be the right word, but
0: um, it's it's defiant and triumphant.
1: Yes, yeah, and it's it, it's it's a great um, start to the album. A lot of people have say that's a favorite song from the album.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's um, you you get a lot of Annie's vocal hijinks in that album uh, on on that song rather, and it's it's quite good.
0: It's interesting that uh, the the, uh, the bleakness of the theme of 1984 and the uh, oppression by the uh, totalitarian government and all that, that the album starts out on a positive note.
1: And well, it's a def- it's a defiant note, isn't it? Right, I mean, it's defiant. You
0: know? Yeah, and and she's celebrating the fact that yeah she uh, she did speak, she did fall in love, she did make love, she did have sex or whatever. She did it just the same, and she's triumphant. And I think the uh, exuberant vocal uh, vocal acrobatics that she does in the song are, you know, perfectly suited for that. And um, yes, it's a. I've always loved it. I've always thought it's a fantastic opening track. And um, <laughs> I I just have to briefly say that I had a friend at the time who knew I was really into eurythmics, and uh, I played I played that song for her, and I said, "Do you know who? Can you can you guess who this is?" And she said, Aretha Franklin? Really? And I said, no, Eurythmics. And she said, wow, you'll just buy anything by them, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, clearly soundtracks are not everybody's bag. or uh, But I just thought that was very interesting. And that that comment has stuck with me for the rest of my life. So. Really?
1: Well, that's in- interesting that she initially said Aretha Franklin, and then she would say, well, you'll buy anything. <laughs> so.
0: Well, I think it, it And we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about the reviews, but I think it goes back to the thing of like, why isn't this a prop? you know, people are like, why isn't this a proper album? Shouldn't mm-hmm. she be singing? Shouldn't these be proper songs? So there is that, I guess, that thought when a, when a big band, a successful band, puts out a soundtrack, you know.
1: Yeah, and we'll get through that. We'll get into a lot of that throughout this, but yeah, it's... It, it is proper songs when you really want to look at it. Not the traditional way, but it's very interesting. I always think the beginning of I did it just the same, that little note that you hear always reminded me, I always thought my mind would go to that it's a drop of water, but it's not. And it when you when I listen back, it, it doesn't sound like that. But even when I hear it now, just that first little bit, I just get these drops of water. and I, And what I see in my mind is this dank, bleak place which again the song is not like that but it's leading you there because (laughs) that is the world of 1984
0: so yeah i I agree with you 100 percent mark i I, it does sound like water dripping um when you say like a a, like in a you know like in a bleak think about the video for the song for the song sex crime which we're going to talk about next where they're in that sort of like um uh well, it was filmed at Battersea Power Station, but it looks sort of like a, um, like it was like some kind of bombed out ruin mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about that kind of industrial sound of the water dripping and the, that's the kind of imagery I get, you know, rusty, dark, water dripping, dank, wet, kind of um, all of that. And, but also, you know, but definitely industrial. There's an industrial, you know, sound to that. Mm-hmm. And, I agree with you. You know, uh, before you mentioned that, I never really thought about it in, in those terms. I knew it sounded industrial. I got that imagery in my mind. But you have really hit it on the head. I, th- I think you're right. It sounds like a f- like like dripping water or a faucet.
1: Well, and I think that's what soundtracks are supposed to do. You know, they have these imagers. And if, if you, you don't have the movie in front of you, I love to listen to soundtracks of all sorts. I, uh, I, I, I do all the time. And download a lot of soundtracks, and I don't have to be watching the movie to enjoy the music and get something different out of it. Sometimes too, that's just me.
0: Well, when I when I was a kid and before the advent of videotape, yes, folks, we're that old. Um, really, the only way you could bring a movie home was to buy the soundtrack. You know, mm, good point. You couldn't own movies then. The only time you could see them would be in the theater when they would show them on TV. So soundtracks were important to me. If I loved a movie, I bought the soundtrack. So I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, uh, soundtracks are not, are, were not alien to me. So when this one came along, it was kind of like, okay, great. And I embraced it. And and as we've said, it's not completely a traditional soundtrack. It has some um, um, actual songs on it. The first being the next track, Sex Crime, 1984. Which everyone knows was a huge hit in uh, Europe and Christmas time '84. Banned in the U.S., of course. Um. Well, from some
1: radio stations. Some radio stations wouldn't play it, so it it, it ended up. Um, remember back in the day, um, wasn't it that? Um, that the album had a sticker on it at some point. Was it the album that had a sticker banned by the thought police or some such thing? Censored
0: by the thought police. And and I'm not sure if that was added after the controversy or initially on the initial pressings.
1: I think it was, I think it was added later and just to sort of, as this sort of commentary on the whole thing, which we can get to, but uh, um, yeah. So, but the leads, the lead single, and it was still a hit here in the, Dance clubs and oh, yeah. you know, 12-inch single thing did really, really well. Um, you know, so wh- what I a great deal.
0: Sorry, I knew people that had the soundtrack that weren't even huge Eurythmics fans. And that that really surprised me because for an album that was kind of underground and not well promoted in the US, people had it and people liked it and people talked about it. I mean, I had a friend that specifically mentioned sex crime, and the whole reason he he went out and bought it was because of that 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 you know that drum beat in it. He just loved the drum beat. And these were people that were just kind of casual Eurythmics fans, so I think that speaks to the power of that album and in that song.
1: Well, it, I, I had the same experience. I, I was in high school at the time, a teenager, and my close friends and I had the same sort of taste in music, so my very close friends and I liked Eurythmics, and culture club and all the kind of big stuff at the time, but you know, the people on the peripheral side, you know, and a lot of them really didn't like, they didn't care anything about sweet dreams or here comes the rain again. You know, it wasn't their cup of tea, but man, a lot of these people love sex crime. They they just did. It was, you know, and I, I, it was kind of weird for me. Like, well, why do you like that? And you didn't, you didn't really go crazy about the other stuff, but they did. And, um, there was um i remember going to a record store do you remember back in the day yes again as rex has pointed out we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we weren't this old probably but back in the day when you went to things called record stores but this particular record store had sort of an upper an upper level where there was a dj and he would play the latest songs basically it was to get you to buy you know the, the records. It wasn't at a dance place. It was just, he was up on this level and he would play the latest singles. And he had the 12 inch single for Sex Crime, the extended mix of almost eight minutes long. And he was playing it as loud as he could get it. And he was dancing down the sort of the, this upper level, clapping his hands, just joyful with this single. He adored it. I mean, I remember him coming up to me when I came in, because he knew that I liked rhythms, rhythmics, and he had the 12-inch, and he's single, and he said, you've got to, you're going to want this, you know. And um, I thought he was an older guy. He was probably 30 years old, but, <laughs> you know, when you're 15 or 14, uh, 30's probably old. It's not now.
0: But <laughs> he's probably now over 70.
1: But, you know, that was a, that, an if it hadn't had the problems with U.S. radio, that would have been a big hit. That would have been yes. a huge hit, just all like the, it in Europe and England and other places. Yeah, but, all uh, the
0: indicators were here. That it, I mean, I mean, it was very well received by the public and by the people that heard it. And really, I mean, the reaction to it was 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 like you said. Yeah, people were just like crazy for it. Um, maybe it's some, maybe because it was like Eurythmics' first, like really, like you know, heavy dance number or, or, you know, mm. I mean, we'd had right by your side, but I think the, the, um, the public perception was mostly that, you know, it was kind of melancholy and dark music. And this presaged, would I lie to you, which of course broke them even wider into, into the, the areas of normalcy, if you will. Um, so I think people were like, wow, this, you know, this this kind of rocks and 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 is raucous and it's percussive and it's got the drums and all the vocals and and it was different from here comes the rain again and and sweet dreams and i think that may have been maybe it's sort of a revelation to people like would i lie to you was was an even further revelation
1: it was very much a song that was in the eurythmics vein of repetition and not a lot of words. You know, when reviewers reviewers were kind of perplexed that a lot of the songs didn't have lyrics, um, s- Sex Crime actually has, other than maybe Double Plus Good, the fewest lyrics of the main lyrical compositions. There aren't a, really a lot of words to it, and it's a lot of repetition as they have done up to that point, and had after as well, but... Um, it was. Um, it caught you. You you didn't stop listening to that song. It it it, it took you, <laughs> along with it, dancing, mm-hmm. listening, uh, the repetition, all of it, brought you along.
0: Yes. Um, our friend Maureen, who we refer to a lot. So if you listen to our podcast, you'll you'll uh, hear us refer a lot to our our depart, dear departed friend Maureen Martin, who passed away in in 2005, but she was a huge Eurythmics fan friend to both of us. And she was convinced that, um, and I always thought this was interesting. She was convinced that one of the reasons that the song was not played on us radio was of course, because of the term sex crime, but she said the lyrics, um, cannot take this for granted with your eyes over me. Maureen said it could be easily heard as with your rise over me, Mm. which leads to images of rape, Sexual abuse, things like that. So, and I never thought about that until she mentioned it. But when you listen to it, it can be heard that way too, you know. So, just an interesting thing that Maureen pointed out, and as, as we well, said, I before.
1: Mean, again, I think if if you're really not paying attention and your radio program, and, so, and we should mention that some radio radio programmers in the U.S. were playing this song, uh, but there was some backlash, and a lot of them weren't playing it, and. Um, so it, it you know the single basically dissipated and went went away in two or three weeks. but um, you know, yeah. well, just think of all the I mean she Maureen's probably right on that. just think of all the songs over the years that all of us have misunderstood the lyrics or uh, yeah, in in, 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 in lots true. of ways. so, um, you know if, if you know, you don't have the the writer of the song in front of you to okay explain this song to me you know you don't have that so you're making this decision and and you know and annie has said it in, in in as as late as 2018 in an interview with she and dave for the rock and roll hall of fame the first time they were nominated you know and dave said something to the effect of no it wasn't it was when the vinyl remasters were released and they have this joint interview and dave says i, I you know he, he's saying i don't even know what the problem with the song was and she's what is she said? Something like, "Well, yes, you do, Dave." It was yeah. the title of the song, <laughs> and it was. I remember
0: was the title that. Yeah,
1: the song, and it's, and I think you have to say, you know, you you don't write a song called "Sex Crime," and and not think that's a little bit provo- provocative. But the, the provocative and doing something the wrong way—they're two different things. That doesn't provocative does not have to have a negative connotation to it. Um, you know, it, it but it was, or it was Orwell speak. You know, the new
0: speak created that he created for George Orwell, Orwell created right. for his book. So it was intellectual, and it went over everybody's heads. I think.
1: <laughs> I, I think it did. I think it absolutely did. And they, and not everybody, in the sense of I think a lot of people who liked rhythmics at the time. You know, we were young. You were a little bit older than I. Than you're a little bit older than I am, but you were a, a student. Just student. a little bit. But you were a student. you were still in high school, right? Or just uh, graduated?
0: I graduated in June '84. So when 1984 came out, it was it was it was between. Well, I had just started college, so
1: yeah. So you know, it's a great song. It's still, I think, one of the most popular songs. It was performed. It opened the Revenge tour concerts, um, and it's a favorite for everybody. This yeah. One one
0: more record. thing I want to point out about about the um when sex crime was released. And this is another thing that, that Maureen told me that I think makes a lot of sense, but you know, a lot going on in the country at that time, we were having um, a lot of the child molestations were going on in preschools. It was the big McMartin preschool thing in California at the same time. Um, And uh, she was convinced that that, that climate Aided in and why it was also um, censored on U.S. radio. Also, what was going on in the 80s at that time, which wasn't, I think, widely known at the time, but now if you go read about it, 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 it was a real thing. This thing called a Satanic Panic <laughs> that was really going on in the 80s. Parents thought their children were being inducted into Satanism by preschools, teachers, schools. It's a real thing. They've made documentaries about it and all that. It sounds like kind of stupid when you say it, but it's true. It really did happen. And Maureen was convinced that part of the backlash was attributed to that, and I I, I can kind of see that. I think, well, especially in California where the McMartin thing was so huge.
1: Well, you know, um, the landscape is not as it is today, where there's you know a million different places that you can get information. You know, at the time, radio stations playing this. You know, they, they didn't want they didn't want their telephones ringing off the hook, like, well, what is this about? And because, you know, everyone's not going to listen to that. They're not going They're not going to just sit down and listen to it and decide, well, what does it mean? Oh, it's about that book. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. So yeah, it's, you can understand what was going on. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it's the mark of a great band when their songs get questioned or even banned. And it wouldn't be the first time they was encountered later with the king and queen of America, but that's another story. <laughs> Okay, so um, the next song, "For the Love of Big Brother." Um, This is a song that I think we all know was probably written prior to them recording the 1984 album because it had been performed on the Touch Tour. Although it wasn't, uh, nobody knew the name of it or anything.
1: Yeah, she never Um, said she never said the name of the song when they were performing when they were performing it, uh, and it it was a new song. She'd say. So you're right. I do think it was possibly written before, not necessarily for, but repurposed. Not sure if we've ever heard that for sure. but um, And it was a little more up-tempo in concert. And I think it was only a handful of times that they performed it, even, even then on the Touch Tour. But I love that. I love For the Love of Big Brother. It's such a great song. And it reminds me a little bit of This City Never Sleeps from the touch uh, from the sweet dreams album rather uh that same what do you think do you think so
0: yes i kind of uh it feels sort of like it could be a companion piece to this city never sleeps um you know thematically it's the same thing kind of you know loneliness isolation um which of course fits in perfectly with the theme of the film and all that so i can see why they they maybe repurposed it or used it for the film very haunting. I think um, Stewart's guitar work on that song is amazing as well. Um, I love that song, you know. I, um, and it, it it it's
1: one of the, I, I like the lyrics from it. Um, and it's interesting because you and I have talked about this before. But I believe well the, f- the first stanza is, like a train passing in the distance, like a bird in flight, I hear you call. And even though there's no one dark shadows move across the wall, which I just think is great. And I used to think that the second line was Blackbird in Flight, I Hear You Call. And it's interesting, I was looking up the lyrics this week, just online, like searching, you know, lyrics to Eurythmics. And one of the lyric sites that, you know, you can always pull up when you're looking for lyrics, and it has Blackbird in Flight, because that's what I always thought it was. But I also have music folio for my piano and it's like a bird in flight so yeah. and I'm almost certain she's saying in the song like a bird in flight. What what were we just saying about <laughs> not under we all can't well, necessarily understand all the lyrics. But yeah. I think either way, I think it's a great lyric. Like a bird in flight, I hear you call. I just think that's such a great song. I mean great lyrics to that song.
0: Great lyrics. Yeah well it is it is in what in what people hear and I always heard it as like a bird in flight but when you say blackbird in flight, I mean it sounds like that too. So yeah. that's completely, you know, a legitimate thing that somebody might think that. And 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 like you said, either way, that it's great. It works. I think if it's blackbird in flight or like a bird in flight, it still works wonderfully either way. Mm-hmm. I would even say maybe blackbird works a little bit better because it's blackbird. You know, like the, the dark theme. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's yeah. why I always thought. But
1: it's, it's interesting. So people uh, weigh in on that: Is it blackbird in flight? Is it like a bird in flight? Well, if we if we have Annie on sometime, we'll ask her. <laughs> but uh, you know, but it, the lyrics are great. It's a great melancholy song. Got really um, reviews for it. Really, a lot of people picked up on that song and uh, and really liked it. Um, I, I remember there was a review from the Washington Post. Um, and let me, and he, and he says it's the best cut on the album. It's a really great review. And he calls it a moody ball- ballad, which fe- features Lennox singing mournfully of the elusiveness of love against a rumbling beat. Um, he says to, it would be a great song on any album. And I thought that was, that was quite a, a re- great review for that song. Um, you know, it was never it was never a single, uh, and I think there probably was maybe some thought process that there that it could be a single. Um, it was three the th- one of the three main lyric songs, if you don't count Double Plus Good, which we'll get to. But um, I, I love that song; I, I adore it.
0: Me too, and I've grown to love it even more over the decades that have passed since since it came out. Okay, the next song, Winston's Diary. Okay, well, we were talking about how people hear lyrics in different ways. Well, people can also, I think, take the theme of something in a different way. Now, we know what the theme of 1984 is, but for some reason, this short little instrumental song, for me, always conjured up imagery of, like, the American West (laughs) <laughs> Cowboys, the desert. It sounds like something a cowboy would play would play on his harmonica around a campfire at the end of the night. Except it's all electronic, so it you know it gets upended in that way. Um, so I've always just felt that about it, and it was. This may be kind of funny to some listeners, but it was always a dream of mine to play that song as I drove through the desert. What desert? Any desert, and I finally did that. A number of years back, I was driving through the Mojave Desert alone and I played the song and yeah, it was sort of a little, I played it like three times and it was sort of a little personal triumph for me. (laughs) It was like something I'd always wanted to do. And, um, but you know, I think it goes back to that whole thing about the way people interpret things. Um, clearly it was meant, I think as kind of a, just a little musical interlude in the, in the film or, you know, some kind of, you know, it, it was ambient music, but um, it's almost like Eurythmics goes country. <laughs> it was really short. It, it's really
1: short. It's really short. It's a very short track. So short, think, it's
0: one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites.
1: I was going to ask you how many times you played it while you were uh, driving.
0: Well, I mean, well, it's So short. So I think I played it like three times. You know.
1: Yeah, we well, you know what it reminds me of, and I know you are a fan. So it'll be interesting to get your take on this. The music. Of, uh, of that track, Winston's Diary, reminds me very, very much of the music from Twin Peaks, especially the music from Twin Peaks, The Return, and there are desert scenes in that, but, I mean, it's something I think Angelo Balamente, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, you can correct me if I'm not, but it reminds me so much of his music, you know, you know, um, 12 15 years before, yeah. twin Pe- well, we yeah. before twin Peaks.
0: for the listeners out there Mike mark and I are, are big twin Peaks fans of the original series and the return series that came out a couple of years ago I think when they announced they were actually doing a, 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 a you know a return I was like jumping up and down like in my house and screaming and hollering for joy because you know I never thought I I would see that. (laughs) I mean, what 30 years later, you know? Yeah.
1: But don't you think that music is very similar to the very emotive music that Angelo created for twin Peaks? Yes. Um, it, it reminds me so much of it and I could, I I could see it. I could, you could turn on a scene from twin peaks, turn the sound down, put Winston's diary on fit perfectly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There were those, there were those scenes in the, in the new, in the, uh, new series. Um, a lot of bizarre things going on in the desert.
1: Episode <laughs> and, eight,
0: I think. <laughs> yeah. I need to rewatch that series. It, it, it was so good, but so complex.
1: Yeah. Be careful people. We'll do a, con- we'll do a podcast on twin, twin peaks next. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have similar tastes, but uh, anyway, I think it could fit very well in that. Uh, I, I love that idea of, of you that it conjured up such a scene for you though, that it was a desert scene.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and I think that's the beauty of music that it, That we all get something different out of music—totally different things, maybe. Right.
0: it it It's almost it's almost magical the way sound musical sounds can can produce these pictures in your mind, um, or the or these feeling you know these ambient feelings or 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 sounds and and it just it's always been like that with me. When I listen to music, it's very visual in my head. I see colors. I see images. And that's why I think, um, I like Eurythmics videos so much because they, they follow that same kind of, uh, I think that same kind of idea, you know, I'm not saying that my thoughts match what came out in Eurythmics videos, but it was that same kind of thing, you know, putting, putting music to visuals in a way that, you know, aligns with the music, aligns with your thoughts and emotions. Does that make sense? Am I just kind of rambling now?
1: No, huh. it does. I, I think that again, I just think that's you know the the power of music, and, and it's the power of this music that that you and I both have liked for so long, and why we've liked it for so long, and uh, it's
0: great music. So yeah, I think um, Dave and Annie are, are understand that what they created in the in the space of those ten years has had a profound effect on on their fans and on listeners much more than they realize i mean look we're still we're still talking about it 40 something years later there are still there's still interest the fans are still out there they're hanging on every every detail of what's what goes on whether it's nothing or something you know Mm -hmm. and we've got you know the fan websites that do well i mean yeah for a band that you know some might call defunct they certainly haven't gone away from the uh the public public consciousness i think and i think it's 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 getting even more now i mean I'm, I'm really bowled over by this rock and roll fan vote um you know i mean it wasn't like this last time i mean there's there seems to be so much more mo- momentum this time and a recognition of them as like wow you know look what they did it could be that the remasters that have been out for several years have helped we know that that appeals to uh, younger listeners i will say this the statistics uh for my website show a lot of people in the 25 to 35 age range clicking on things. Mm. So the younger people, Yeah. yeah, and people our age, the stats are a little bit more down. The stats are higher for the younger people. So are they discovering, are they I don't know but I think it's a positive thing. Well I've
1: no, I've noticed that in in recent times that you know you'll you know read the comments on YouTube on a video on YouTube or anything like that uh, that's connected to your rhythmic and you're really getting a lot of uh, a lot of respect and a lot of people discovering them and in and keeping them in really high regard um, and again this is an act that's been around for 40 plus years. So pretty good.
0: And-, and that recent article about, you know, calling it the genre fluid music that was ahead of its time, it was ahead of its time. And and so many artists today do this now. They, they, they jump back and forth between styles and you don't think anything of it. But what I think young, uh, younger people might want to realize is years and years ago when we were young, to be genre fluid wasn't necessarily considered a good thing people liked everything to be the same, especially radio programmers and record executives. And for an artist to be that kind of varied was unusual. And I think a lot of critics didn't even know how to receive that kind of thing back in the day. You know, it's kind of, what are they doing? Can't they be more focused to me? It was like, this is natural. Why wouldn't you want to experiment and do all sorts of different things and push envelopes and, and, and not do the same boring hackneyed thing over and over. Well,
1: I'm. I'm We would not be talking. This podcast would not exist. We would not be talking about them forty years later, had they not done exactly that. Had they not been (laughs) fluid in the music that they made, it just it it's it's what kept them going and moving on, and other people discovering them. it's almost
0: like they they provided a blueprint for a lot of what you see today you know all this hopping around and 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 different styles and people don't think anything of it they 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 just accept it now back in the day it was met with a little bit of resistance like i pointed out earlier with my friend's comment you'll you'll buy anything by this band (laughs) it's like yeah you're damn right i will you know
1: (laughs) that's right well let's let's move on with uh, 1984. So, what's the next song? "Greetings from a Dead Man" is that right?
0: Yeah, "Greetings from a Dead Man." Ooh. Talk about that, Mark. You start talking. Go oh,
1: ahead, it, go ahead. You start.
0: Um, well, it's haunting. It's a little. It's a little creepy sounding. Um, it's one of those songs on the album that you know. Um, for me, it just conjures up a lot of. Images in my mind. Um, I think it's supposed to be referring to um, Winston's imminent demise or the fact that he's going, he may possibly be killed. I know he's apprehended in the film. I could be wrong about that. I have, I have to say, I haven't watched the film in a number of years, although I listen to the soundtrack all the time. But uh, yeah. So what do you think?
1: There's a, there's a, there's a, a great scene in the movie with Winston and he's got his diary he pulls it out of a block and he's writing in it, you know, and he, he uses those words, but it's kind of reversed. I think, uh, from a man, I think, yes, this is what he says from a man. Greetings from a man, a dead or something, dead man. He, he flips, it's flipped so that the title is not the same, but, uh, again, them taking things from the book or from the movie, depending on it, or the same. But it's probably where you first really get a sense that this is a different kind of album, that there are going to be a lot of tracks. In, in addition to the opening, uh, I did it just the same, that you're going to have a lot of s- mu- music, but it's going to be Annie Linux doing vocalizations, not necessarily lyrics almost scat singing, um, really well done. Um, and so, um, and you, it's so different, but her voice is basically an instrument, if not multiple instruments throughout some of these songs and greetings from a dead man is very much. So that exactly. they're layering a lot of music, but also with her vocals. Um, and I think that's really daring. I think you've got to have a lot of self-confidence that you're going to do that. Um, and they did have a lot of confidence, thank goodness they should have they were very talented are very talented. but you have to have a lot of confidence to do that and I think it showed.
0: Yes, you're right about that and 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 listeners sometimes don't respond well to um, to those kind of, of vocal uh, experiment experimental, Things, you know, like she does in that song. And there, she did some other things. She's done some other things in her career, too, vocally, that I know fans have been kind of like, what? Like, one thing that sticks out for me is in the song Womankind from Songs of Master Destruction. She does that, you know, that kind of. Yeah, yeah. And I remember some fans saying, what the heck is that? Why does she have to do that? That just sounds so weird and strange. And I thought, what? I think it sounds great. I love the fact that she, she did that. I love, I love those kind of like vocal interpretations and stylings and experimentations. It just adds to the whole thing.
1: Well, you know, you get, you get that in, in, in the lead single in sex crime The the backing vocal basically are these um, vocal hijinks that she's doing all the way through. It takes you all the way through Mm -hmm. and, you know, and you're right. She does that in lots of things. Good. You know, it, it was written by someone else, but no more. No more. I love yous, You know, vocal hijinks. This is what she does. She does it so. Like well. She played. A, like she played an air harmonica on the Grammys a few years ago with Hosier. You know, <laughs> and people went that wild is. over that. They went wild over that. <laughs> yeah,
0: that that was electrifying. That yeah. was an electrifying moment on the Grammys. I would say that was akin to her to when she came out uh, in male drag. Back in 1983, it was that was electrifying too. Uh-huh. Um, she seems to do these electrifying things on the Grammys. So,
1: well, yeah, got to do something different. I think is her idea. Right. But uh, I, I do think it's it's um, it's it's vocal hijinks, if you will. And and she they and I, I think that's a it just she just does it. You, know,
0: you could almost say the greetings from a dead man is kind of the first song. I mean, you could when I say you can almost say it. It's kind of the first song on the album that isn't. I don't want to say a proper song, but, but think about my train of thought. I did it just the same. Doesn't have lyrics, but it has her, um, her scatting vocals and all that stuff. And it's listenable, danceable. And, and then you have sex crime, which is a real song for for the love of big brother, which is a real song. Winston's diary is so short. It's like an interlude. So this is almost kind of like the first song on the album where it's like you're confronted with, okay, this is, this is really a soundtrack. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, but like you said, her vocals lifted above that and make it a more interesting listening uh, experience. And I can and and
1: I can see why you know it's different than the soundtrack or the score. To but there's a, some of that in that in the score. You still get some of of Annie you you her vocalizations in that. Uh, so. Um, but it, it's different from a soundtrack, so I, I do think this album is, is as a whole, was
0: more inspired by, right? From, the, from music the, derived from. It's yeah. more of a stylized type of soundtrack. It's almost like a soundtrack taken t- to an artistic, more more artistic level.
1: Well, you know, they didn't do this back in the day, but I could imagine if this was released today, that you might have this album from the group that created it as 1994 for the love of big brother. And then you'd have a second album that was just the score itself. Uh, you could see that being done. And that's done a lot of times uh, that there are two of them. It uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have been done back in the day, but, um, but
0: um, yeah. yes, that is the big thing now, right. Two discs or two, two, one is like the, uh, either the songs from the movie or the more, or the more commercial soundtrack. And then the, and the mm-hmm. other one may be just the music or, someone else's contribution or something like that. But you're right. That is done a lot these days. Hey, maybe, well, I don't think we'll ever see something like that with 1984 because of, uh, because of the controversy and all that, which we'll, we'll address at the end, but I could be wrong.
1: I'd love to. I remember now that scene with Winston and he, he, he simply says from a dead man, greetings that he says it. you hear it out loud, but he's with his diary. And so I love that scene too. I just love all that. And you know, you conjures up so much, in just
0: a few words right okay so now the next track on the album is julia which was released as a single and of course is about the protagonist the protagonist in the film julia and uh she's the one that you know has the relationship with winston and and uh they break all the rules and the song is basically a uh A lament, I think, about unrequited love or lost love. The lyrics, I think, are just amazing on this song, and and of course, it contains, I think, one of Dave Stewart's best guitar solos ever at the end of the song. Um, But I'm just—I remember the first time hearing this song, just being bowled away by the lyrics. You know, Um, my favorite one is when spring rejoices down the lane and everything is new again, and you have that piano in the background that sounds like somebody running or skipping. Bum, 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 rejoicing, rejoicing yeah. down the lane and it's just brilliant and icy breezes chill the air freezing snow lies everywhere it's just gorgeous it sort of reminds me a little bit of the imagery in in her song cold which would come you know um, a little less than 10 years later but you know cold is the color of crystal and things like that you know and it's just nobody,
1: nobody warms music with icy cold lyrics as much as Annie Lennox you know nobody nobody it's it's you know these lyrics that are cold and burr but she warms them up right if that makes sense
0: (laughs) I mean she's talking about icy breezes chilling the air but yet you feel warm when you're hearing this you know you don't feel cold Um, and I think that was the whole thing about them right in the beginning was that that combination of the cold and the soulful
1: it's a very layered song um, you know so you've got the title the and the character the name Julia repeating um, with the lyrics uh, the the main lyrics juxtapositioned with it Julia you know and uh, no one wants to hear me sing but that but you know and, and that's again that very uh eurythmic sort of, um, the way they would do things there was a lot of repetition but it 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 came uh with you know the lyrics and it would push through and it would over and over and over and it was um i just think it's a great song i wish they had performed it live they never performed it live um and it's such a great loss and i, I think too you know moving on you know it wasn't a big hit it, it i think it the I think it got to 44 in England. I don't think it was a hit anywhere that I'm aware of. Um, it, w- it was released here in the US. Um, uh, funny, on the B side was um, a special radio edit of "Sex Crime," and it just they took off the sex, 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 sex at the beginning of it, and just starts out with "Crime, Crime, Crime." So it was kind of a, another. Probably wasn't the wisest thing to do with here. Let's issue this to to radio, the radio, same radio programmers who wouldn't play it. And we'll stick this on the back, a, kind of a little nudge, like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't play it. But, but, uh,
0: Julia was my, throwing everything at the wall to see what would stick with that. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's a beautiful song. Um, it should have been on the Ultimate Collection. I will say that. Uh, it, it, it uh, well, none of them, I, I think there was probably. Issues with that, but uh, you know, well, it was it was a, it was a B side on one of the singles from that, I think. But uh, anyway, from the uh, Ultimate Collection. But um, I think it's one of their best songs they've ever did. They ever did, absolutely. There is no doubt that Julia,
0: and she's clearly a- singing it from uh, I think Winston's point of view, as you know, as if you know, he's I think he's singing you know to her, right, Julia. He's speaking to her. So here you have Annie singing, you know, from a male point of view, which back in the day that often had problems too. I remember, uh, Debbie Harry, you know, in Blondie would sing songs from a man's point of view or to a woman. And a lot of people would be put off by that. You know, like there was that song, pretty baby, the Blondie did and, uh, things like that. And. And even Jennifer, Eurythmics Jennifer, where she's singing to a woman or singing about herself, that kind of thing was a little controversial back then. Um, singing from another gender's point of view. Um, I don't think I don't think that's a big thing anymore, but I just think it's worth mentioning because that was a little um unusual back then.
1: Yeah, so what you're saying is like you you on 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 first glance, you may think she's singing to Julia, but she's right. not. This is this is Winston saying to Julia: "Will we still be? Will will we be there? Will we still be there?" Yes, Barry. Yes, that's that is the point. Um, you know, you, you have to take music on a higher level than sometimes pop music right. wants you to do, although. The, you know, not disparaging pop music, that's that's what I listen to. That's what I've grown up listening to, what I still listen to. But, I mean, it, you know, in this little pop music package, there's a lot you need to pay attention to. It, it is. It's, but that's a very good point. I think that's a very good point. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> All right. So the next track is Double Plus Good, and this is one of my absolute all-time favorite eurythmic songs. I just think it's a stunning track um, in every way. The vocals, the instrumentation, and I will have to point out that on the remastered red vinyl, it sounds—I've never heard it. I mean, well, first of all, I've never heard nineteen eighty. The whole album sound as good as it does on the remastered vinyl. But that song in particular, when I listened to it on the, on the remastered vinyl, I heard things I had not heard before. Yeah, me too. And it was like, wow! it was like listening to a whole new song. Um, it's a it's a great little. It's a song, a, clearly a song, you know, meant to address the whole doublespeak of the of 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 the, Orwellian society that was in in the, in the novel and, and in the film, but it's just such a, it's so good, it's such a, it almost reminds me of something like you'd hear on Savage, you know, um, well, it starts out with those great African,
1: yeah, drums and these these beats you know and, and those
0: voice and like those little grunts voice, vocal grunts in the background and and then the 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 drums are going and it sounds very primal yeah
1: yeah it does i mean and uh, and i love that you know all of it is taken directly from the book you know d- you know direct lines from the book and it's nonsense it's 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 the nonsense that was spoken um that had to to the masses in the book and it didn't matter what they were being told it was it was irrelevant you know they were being put in their place and they had to live the life that they were supposed to live li- live and it didn't matter what it was that was the beauty of it um, and I love, the, you know, what chocolate rectified, you know, it's, it's nonsense, but it's, 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 it's great nonsense.
0: Yeah, I know. I love the part about chocolate rectify. And then, of course, I, I love the, uh, you know, our, our forces in South India have won a glorious victory. The action we are now reporting may well bring the war within measurable distance of its end. Okay. <laughs> and that sounds like anything you've ever heard out of any politician's mouth when during wartime, you know, uh, basically a big bunch of nothing. Um, and which is what, what double speak is, but it's such a great song. I mean, it, I mean, even w- if you take away the theme of the song, it just sonically, it's such a banger, and it just—it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's amazing. Um, one of my all-time—you know—you're saying Julia is one of their all-time best songs, and I agree with that. I think Double Plus Good, I think, ranks up there with um, the best they've ever done.
1: I would think a lot of fans would agree. It's just, you, you. it's a great song. You can't stop listening to it.
0: Yeah, and I love- and the counting. You know, we, I think we mentioned that uh, this is not the first time, you know, your, your rhythmics have done counting in their songs. We had it in um, She's Invisible Now on In the Garden. Yeah, she's 14, a calculator. 13, 12, 11. And then we have it in this, you know, 10, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 3, she never does get to one. You yes, that?
1: that's the point. That's the great point. Right. The beauty of it, it's it's counting down over and over, and it starts over. It doesn't get all the way down. Start 10, 10, 10, 9, 8. And it gets to two. It never gets to it never right. finishes.
0: And it's it's like down. um it's doing it's like doing 99 bottles of beer on the wall and never getting to one bottle of beer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh It's great. And then, oh, I want to point out, we also have counting in Savage in, um, uh, is it, uh, you with your brand new hair, one, (laughs) you two. And then I don't think you hear the three, but you hear like the hump for the three. Uh, And so, yeah, it's an avant-garde kind of thing. And, and they, they've done it on several tracks and, uh,
1: Math teachers should have loved Eurythmics. I should have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I love things like that. I love counting and 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 clapping and percussion and all sorts of things that just add to a song. Um, Lady Gaga is really good at, at those kind of things too in her songs. And I and I have to I uh, I look at that with awe when I when I look at songwriters. I think how can you come up with something so brilliant yet so simple? You know, it doesn't occur to me, but but there they are doing just they're counting or they're clapping or they're and it, it works and it gives me a chill down my spine and I love it. And eh, again, the power of music.
1: You mentioned the red vinyl, uh, the remaster. We should probably mention something specifically about that, that was it 2018, that record store day and that the, this album, 1984 for the love of big brother had its first re-release and all this time on, beautiful red vinyl remastered uh you, you could buy the vinyl album and it also had a download for his his uh, that you could that you could download um and it it does it sounds so good it sounds great so if you don't have that if you don't have that you can still find it on ebay and all that kind of thing um you should definitely get it because it hasn't had another release and I don't. I don't think you can get like you can't download the album from like iTunes. Has never had this album for download. I don't think so. But the remaster is incredible.
0: Yeah, all the remasters came with download links, and uh, of course, you know, you can either download them as MP3 or WAV files. The WAV files are the better quality, and they just sound amazing. I I transferred all. You know, I made C, my own CDs out of all the albums, so it's sort of like I have a CD. Um, and I also put the wave files on my iPod, but, but the vinyl sounds great. And we should add that, um, the artwork was a little bit, um, uh, spruced up and redone by Lawrence Stevens, who wasn't the original designer of the album because it was Virgin Records, but he, um, he took this re reissue and added his own stamp to it. I think improved it a little, um, some, you know, some fans might not even might not even see the difference, but you know, in, in the logo on the album, we have the star, uh-huh. The red star, which was not present on the original pressing from the other designer, so you know Lawrence added his own stuff and I think improved it. And e- even the logo is different. The Eurythmics logo itself is different. Yeah,
1: and you can you could read about some of that on uh, Rex's website, Video Visionaries, where we interviewed Lawrence. I don't know a year, a couple of years ago, and. Yeah. We talked to him a lot about his, because he did most of the designs for Eurythmics albums and singles over the years, most of them not 1984 until he had a chance to do some tweaks to it for this re, um, remastered and re-release. And so you can go to uh, Rex's website and uh, read more about Lawrence Stevens.
0: That's video visionaries.com. But we hope to have Lawrence on a, on a future podcast to, to talk about um, his designs post for Annie and Dave's solo career career. So that's going to be an upcoming podcast. Okay. Um, two more songs on the album. The next one is ministry of love. These last two songs are very atmosphere. Well, the whole thing is atmospheric, but these songs are especially atmospheric and, and, and dark and sinister and creepy. And uh, of course this, this is mirroring what's going on in the film as the film is reaching, reaching its, its climax and all that. But I have to say, um, The first time I heard Ministry of Love, it scared me. Literally, I mean, I was listening to it with headphones and I got scared. And I love that. I love that. (laughs) I love that I got scared. Thank you, Dave and Annie. (laughs) Aren't aren't you a fan of horror films? Oh, I love horror films. Yeah, I know. I I know Annie has mentioned that she likes horror films as well. so you, you like being scared, okay? Just just really briefly on horror films, you know, they're often derided by critics as being like lowbrow art, and I suppose that they could be considered that. I had an English teacher in high school who just absolutely thought Edgar Allan Poe was just trash because oh. of, because of, because of the theme, because it was about dark and horror and all that. But I don't know um, horror <laughs> horror films in the seventies are horror films from the from the seventies are my favorite, and they were sort of the precursor to the big indie film movement that followed in the 80s and 90s so just a little bit on that but yes i'm a, i'm a horror film fan
1: right. so you but so you like being scared but ministry of love is you're right it's the climax of the the you know the film and the uh, the 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 book the whole the whole gamut it's all happening in the ministry of love and it's 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 not about love <laughs> um and again but but if you're talking about the hijinks in her vocals you know it's it's getting very uh you know almost animal sounds and the whole kind of thing and it there's um uh, there's actually a really great remix extended version or remix on the b-side of the Julia 12-inch single that you can find a, an extended mix of this track uh and it really gets into the grunts and the animal sounds and it seems like monkeys or whatever it is, you know, that she's would, doing really well.
0: I would venture to say that um, Annie was probably influenced a little bit by Yoko Ono's um, Primal Screaming and those kind of songs that she did on her work with the Plastic Ono Band and also as a solo artist. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Yoko Ono fan. I'm very familiar with her work. And, um, you know, I, I hear that. I hear that in 1984. I hear that that kind of homage to, to you know, um, to, her, to Yoko's <laughs> vocal shrieking and, and her sounds, which, you know, I think a lot of people didn't understand it when it was happening. She's much more respected these days. You know, they say alternative music couldn't have happened without her. And I agree with that. But anyhow, I'm going off on a different subject. <laughs> so yeah, I just think I think that's uh something that I think Annie was aware of when she was doing those vocals. There's even some vocals I think on In the Garden that are are similar to that. Even in uh something as recent as uh, God Rest Ye Mary gentlemen with uh those ulations that she does in the background. No. Um yeah. that's that's well, a ulation is a thing, you know, in mm. in I think Middle Eastern culture. But it also reminds me of Yoko Ono, so there you go.
1: Well, it, it leads right. to Ministry of Love leads right into Room One Hundred One. Um, again, you you can put this out on your porch when the trick or treaters are coming for Halloween, and it fits in perfectly because it's spooky. It's it's scary. Uh, it's supposed to be Room One Hundred One is about the torture chamber that you know Winston. You know they're putting a cage on his face and it's the worst thing and what it's it's, that's the lyric that repeats over and over it's the worst thing in the world and i don't know if that's dave because it's a very deep kind of slowed down it's the worst thing in the world i don't know if Annie all slowed down
0: i think it is dave and it reminds me a little bit of some of the other vocal things you hear from dave um like especially on what is it uh aqua don't touch you know, someone once told me that they never heard that in the song until I mentioned it. I said, you never heard Dave saying, don't touch me. Really? And they said, no. And I had to go back. And, and it's like, I don't know how you could not hear that, but whatever.
1: <laughs> no, that. but I, I could see people may, maybe just think that's, you know – again, sort of music, but that is interesting. But yeah, I, th- I always wondered if, if it's the worst thing in the world is from Dave or Annie, but you're probably... I
0: always thought it was Dave uh, because it would, I mean, it would seem like it would go along with, with it being Annie's voice on the double plus good, you know, uh-huh. speaking all the doublespeak. Yeah, um, It could be Richard Burton's voice slowed down. I don't, I don't know.
1: Well, maybe so. I, I don't know. I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that. But it, 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 it Room 101 ends really just with a crash. I mean, just a complete room 101 and boom and it's done and the album's done
0: right that's well, it well the song is the song is scary and then it ends it ends in a scary way i mean i remember thinking okay i'm feeling agitated and scared during the song even though i like that um and then at the end you know you're right there's this big crash and and it's even more jarring and and like you said it's the end of the album and just brilliant you know I, I,
1: I, i've read on one of the Uh, Facebook pages, Eurythmics Facebook pages that recently where someone had, had been a fan, but they'd never, they'd never had this full album and they only got it recently. And that's fascinating to me that uh, should have had them all should have found who that was. I I actually don't remember their name or I would say it. Uh, I don't remember, but uh, that never heard this album until recently. So people, people are still discovering this album. We're sitting here talking about the whole album, but we know for a fact because this just happened really in the last few weeks where someone mentioned that they had d- just bought the album and had were going to listen to it for the first time, which I think is fascinating. And uh, Ross Larkin from Australia, who is a huge Eurythmics fan, a lot of people know him. He's an actor and a musician. Um, and it, it, he says this is his favorite album of all time. Not just a favorite Eurythmics album, his favorite album of all time. And it does conjure up a lot of love from a lot of people because it is so different it is so um uh, it mystical almost it takes you somewhere else um and it is dark sometimes but uh, uh, i think you've talked about this before you know uh, it's a cathartic thing for a lot of people that uh, you know that we gravitate sometimes to dark things um sort of helps us in our everyday life too.
0: Yeah. Well, go- you mentioned earlier that I like to be scared. Well, you know, when I was a child and I was at a horror film in the theater and I would have to say thank you to my father for taking me to horror films. Most parents wouldn't take, I mean, I was being taken to R-rated horror films that I wanted to see when I was like 12. So thanks, dad. I really appreciate that. Anyhow, that feeling of being so scared in the theater that you wanted to cover your eyes and hide under the seat, I love that feeling. I love that feeling. And I try and, you know, the older you get, the, the less that feeling is, you know, there, you, know, you know, I can't watch a horror movie anymore and get that reaction because I'm an, a, an older adult now. So but when every now and then when a horror film comes along that does do that to me, it's like, wow, I, it can still happen. And that's the kind of way that's it's similar for 1984. It's that same kind of cathartic feeling. You're scared as hell, but you want to go back for more, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because it is cathartic.
1: Yeah. But so there's our take on the album. Um, and I just, uh, you know, um, if you're listening to this and, and we post, you know, these things on social media, let us know what you think. You know, that's, that's what this is all about. It's not just, you know, um, right. two of us talking about, it. we want to know what other people think and about what your favorite songs
0: are and stuff. But yeah, we had, we had somebody put a, put a nice review from Australia where they, they, actually disagreed with some of our points. And that was great. We love that. It was like, yes, that's what we want to hear. We want to hear your take. We want to hear your idea because art is fluid and everybody has a different take on it. Yeah. Well, they so, were, yeah.
1: Yeah. They were complimentary, but they also said, well, but I think oh, you know, and I, and that's yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Completely complimentary, complimentary and, and, and their, their ideas that were different were very much welcomed by us. And that's what we want. We want that kind of dialogue.
1: I want to, want to mention too, that uh, if, if, if you want to hear more about the score of the film, that there was a, a DVD, a couple of DVDs released in the last few years, um, at least one, or Blu ray, uh, that you can separate the scores. Because if we explain this, the controversy, there were two controversies, one about the single, and then in England, a controversy where the producer and the director of the film had hired their own um, uh, do- Dominic, um, what was it Mold- Dominic Mold- to Mold- do the score, but Virgin films had hired Eurythmics and had paid them 600,000 pounds, apparently, which the director and the producer said was more than all of the actors and the films' producers and directors had received, but Eurhythmics had been paid six hundred thousand pounds to do this.
0: Good stuff, uh, but um, but you have a quote. You have a quote from Annie that she gave to the LA Times. Do you want to read that really quick? I think it's a good quote that kind of sums up where where the where Eurhythmics were coming from at the time.
1: Well, there was a con- the controversy, and you know, and the the producer Simon Perry. And the director, Michael Radford, they didn't like the music and they, they were being very derogative about it. And, and, and it really sort of acted like it was being forced upon them. And that, I think, is where Dave and Annie said, no, let, back up a minute. And so there's a quote from Annie in the L.A. Times, the Los Angeles Times, on December 16th, 1984. And she says, quote, we had no intentions of displacing anyone. Both the producer and director knew we had been invited to do the soundtrack. I quite distinctly recall that the director saying Moldoni had only written an opening theme. They never said he had written an entire score. And so there was a lot of controversy about that. And eventually uh, the movie uh, had music from both. Uh, Eurythmics and Maldoni, and, and it. Uh, then in a few weeks, uh, it was all Eurythmics. Um, so, but you can get these DVDs that were released or Blu-ray that were released in recent years that you can listen to both. You can pick which soundtrack you want to listen. And if you go on YouTube, and I encourage you to do this, um, you can go on YouTube and someone has put up, they put, I think it was in 2017, the whole Eurythmics score. And it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, and it's derived from uh, a lot of the songs from Julia is used, uh, the Ministry of Love. I did it just the same uh, for the love of Big Brother and Room 101. That is, there are elements from those Eurythmic songs that that David and Annie did for the score. So you hear bits and pieces. They're beautiful pieces of the piano that you hear in Julia. And you hear that a lot in the score. Uh, so, Look that up on YouTube, get the DVD if you can, because you can you can expand this album to what in essence was the score. And I do think that's the difference in 1984 for The Love of Big Brother was a Eurythmics album, you know, inspired by, derived from, however you want to put it, from the work that they did for the movie. But there are two things. There's the score that they did, which is, even stranger uh, and and more um uh, melodic's not the word but uh, what would it be rex it's uh, you know it's, but it's it, it, moody much more moody uh even so than this um they're all worth ha- checking out and to your point that you said earlier i hope that um it would be great one day if we could get that released as you know you know, a bonus extended. Uh, uh, people would love that. Go go on YouTube, and and see any video about Eurythmics music from 1984, specifically this score. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of comments of people basically saying this is the best soundtrack that was ever made. You know, and and how much it, that they have loved it all, all these years. It's a very popular album from something that a lot of people wouldn't at the time would have not thought because it, it had so much controversy on both sides of the Atlantic on two different things, you know, a controversy with the filmmakers, then on the other side, controversy with radio programmers, it's a very popular album.
0: But in the end, the sheer artistry of the album and of the film itself transcended all the controversy. And nowadays, um, you know, the controversy is almost a second thought and people think more about the music. Um, it should point, we should point out that Annie uh, revealed a number of years ago that she had recently run into the director of the film, hadn't seen him since back in the day. And he apologized to her for, Mm -hmm. I guess the way they were treated and all that. And I think she said something like, well, yes, you should apologize. (laughs) So it looks like that hatchet has been buried. And, and like I said, um, Art triumphed over controversy, anyways. I mean, now it's regarded as a classic album in their canon. The movie is highly regarded. The soundtrack is highly regarded. So,
1: well, the the producer once was quoted in an an, an article from uh, Kathy Booth with the United Press International, and it was part of the controversy, and, and he said he was worried about, you know, what soundtrack was going to be archived with this music and what soundtrack would be used when it went to, quote, videotape, shows you the age. And uh, he had, he said, you know, and this is a quote from him, I think it's worth repeating because it makes it really strong today. Um, you know, he's worried about the TV distribution and, and the archives, quote, in six months' time when people forget how to spell Eurythmics and I have to say I've not heard of Simon Perry in a very long time but <laughs> Eurythmics have been around for a very long time went on to win more awards than you know anybody could ever count Annie Lennox became you know is the queen of British pop so you know didn't quite work out
0: the way he thought it would <laughs> yeah, exactly. well I think that's a, a good way to uh end this podcast um it was great talking about 1984. I hope everybody um, enjoyed listening to it. I hope some people out there that maybe haven't heard it will now be, you know, kind of spurred on to go pick it up and listen to it because, you know, like we're, like we're saying, you know, it's a soundtrack album, but it doesn't play like that. It plays more like a Eurythmics album and it's just a classic album in their canon. Uh, I think it's, um, one of their finest albums and then, then they believe that as well. So
1: yeah, we'll have to have, we'll have to have a, a podcast with, and get fans on at some point to kind of talk about this. Cause I think uh, you, I think fans could talk about this for a really long time. Cause it, it, it is, it's kind of, it's special to a lot of people. It's,
0: yeah. it's wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to hear like different fans perspectives on things, you know, like my whole thing about Winston's diary sounding Western, I would love to hear what other fans would think along those lines of other songs or anything that comes in their head and, yeah, very interesting. Uh, if
1: you want to get the um, the twelve inch extended version of Sex Crime, it was just put on one of those. Now that's what I call music uh, for CD compilations, and those are generally they remastered and all. Right. It looks sounds really good. It's the second track on one called Now That's What I Call Twelve Inch Eighties Extended, but uh, again, you you see kind of a revival with this. This just came out a few months ago. Uh, this the music from nineteen eighty four is still uh, you know, being released in, in, in different ways, so it's exciting about that.
0: It, very, it is, yeah. Well, it's good to talk to you again. Good, good podcast. Likewise. We always have great conversations. That's why we decided to record them and share them with the world. <laughs> we,
1: could, we could talk about 1984 for a long time, but we we probably need. To, <laughs> we'll have a second part, or way down the road, or sometime like yeah,
0: right. us. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody.
1: And, uh, and and what most important, if you haven't voted for Eurythmics for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that you can do daily, you must do that. Have you done that yet today, Brex?
0: I do it every morning, first thing as I'm having my coffee.
1: Yeah, I do too. Yes.
0: All right. So Yeah, just go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website to the fan vote, and you can vote there daily until April 29th. All yep. right? All right. Sounds good. We'll see Thanks, you. everyone. Bye, Mark. Bye.